Welcome back to IRW Coffee Break. I'm your host, Danielle Nishida, and I'm here with the rest of our IRW Coffee Break team, Lori Hatton-Boyd and Carson Lee. We are back from our hiatus, and we're looking forward to a special edition this week, where we look back at all of the updates from the past year and look forward to what to expect for the rest of 2023. Given the amount of material we have to discuss, this episode will be rapid fire, so hang on tight. Where discussions of crypto reporting may have dominated 2021, Section 1446F seems to have dominated the guidance in 2022, with the publicly traded partnership rules going into effect early this year. Lori, do you want to get us started with the guidance we saw in this area? Yeah, sure. Thanks. So first, we had the release of the final qualified intermediary agreement that had all of the changes relating to 1446F and what the qualified intermediaries will need to do to be compliant in that area. Associated with that, we also had frequently asked questions for qualified intermediaries, and most of those were just relating to updating the dates for when a QI needed to go in to identify the review year and things like that. We also had a delay in the QI registration requirement. So again, this is going to be a QI renewal. The renewal will be effective back to January 1st of this year. And QIs have until May 1st of this year to go in and renew that QI agreement to have it be in effect retroactively. We did receive a 1446F notice right before the end of the year. This related to the offshore relief. That is for publicly traded partnerships that are organized outside the United States. Industry had asked for significant relief here, and the notice gave us modified relief in that as long as the broker does not have actual knowledge that the non-U.S. entity is a partnership under U.S. tax principles, it will not be in scope. We also had updates to the Form 1042-S for the new codes for 1446F. We have a draft Form 1042. And of course, we had updates to the requester's instructions, again, relating to changes in 1446. Still pending for this year, there are a lot of provisions in the QI agreement that are still waiting to be effective. Those relate to the QDD rules and also reviews for QDDs, and we'll just wait and see. Again, that transition relief was delayed until 2025, and then, of course, the 1042 instructions with all of the 1446 updates. And Section 6050W was another big topic for 2022, with the changes to the de minimis thresholds for third-party settlement organizations originally scheduled to drop from 20,000 and 200 transactions to merely $600 per year at the start of 2023. While the industry was granted a last-minute one-year reprieve on this change to the de minimis rules, the pressure is still on for these TPSOs as the change is looming for 2024. We've also seen an increase in the number of inquiries and, in certain cases, audits in the 6050W area, which is a most unwelcome change. We saw a couple years ago rounds of what we might call soft inquiry letters, which were voluntary, where the government sought information from various TPSOs regarding their compliance with 6050W. We've seen additional inquiries being sent out recently, and we have heard limited cases of certain entities undergoing 6050W audits. So there is absolutely a focus on this. We've also seen substantial interest, even from Congress, regarding the Zelle transactions, because we're seeing Congress really struggling to see why some of these entities are not being treated as TPSOs. And in many cases, it's true that they simply don't fall within the current guidance. But the amount of interest is potentially serving as a prelude to changes to these rules. Looking forward to the rest of 2023, we are still waiting to see whether there'll be any legislation modifying those thresholds for that looming $600 de minimis limit. 
There was a last minute discussion right before the close of the year about potentially changing that proposal in Congress. And this one year delay gives us a potential last minute runway to see if those changes will occur to come up with something a little more reasonable than $600. We're also waiting to see if the proposed changes from last year regarding the backup withholding rate and aligning that with the same $600 de minimis limit will be included in current legislation this year. So 6050W will remain a hot topic for 2023. So we also saw some changes with respect to financial products and digital assets. First, the Section 871M transition rules were scheduled to sunset at the end of 2022, with the final regulations going into effect on January 1st, 2023. However, last summer, the government released Notice 2022-37, which extended the transition rules an additional two years through 2024. The final 871M rules are now expected to apply beginning January 1st, 2025. And relatedly, Treasury has indicated that final 871M regulations are on its agenda for 2023. 2023 was also supposed to be the first year that brokers would be subject to additional reporting obligations with respect to crypto assets under the Infrastructure Investment and Jobs Act of 2021, but the government delayed implementation of these new rules at the last minute through announcement 2023-2, which provides that any new obligations with respect to crypto assets created by the legislation will not apply until final regulations are issued. The government has also announced that final regulations will be published any day now. However, as of this taping, they've not yet been released. Even if the final regulations are published this year, we wouldn't expect them to start applying until 2024. So switching our attention to offshore requirements, the OECD published the Crypto Asset Reporting Framework, or CARF, in October 2022, along with related updates to CRS. The CARF is a separate but complementary reporting framework designed to capture transactions involving crypto assets that would otherwise risk reporting under the existing reporting regimes. On the FACA side, the IRS and Treasury have provided relief under Notice 2023-11 to certain reporting Model 1 FFIs with pre-existing accounts with missing U.S. TINs. Under the notice, reporting Model 1 FFIs will not be found in significant noncompliance with their obligations under local IGAs based on a failure to report U.S. TINs for certain pre-existing accounts, provided that the FFIs obtain and report dates of birth for individuals whose TINs are not provided, search for and solicit missing TINs on an annual basis, and report using specified TIN codes in place of missing TINs. Despite the relief provided by the U.S. government, many jurisdictions have started imposing their own penalties on financial institutions for failing to comply with local and FACA CRS obligations, including penalties for late filing or failing to include account holder TINs when required. Many jurisdictions have also started to issue soft letters or desk audits where they're reaching out to financial institutions to request detailed information regarding the financial institution's compliance with FACA and CRS obligations. So far, the requests seem to be mostly targeted at financial institutions that have registered for GINs with the IRS but not registered as FIs locally, or at FIs that have registered locally but have yet to submit any CRS or FACA filings. And then finally, in global news, Turkey was added to the list of deposit interest reporting jurisdictions, while Kazakhstan, Malaysia, and most notably Argentina have all penned new IGAs in the past year. In unfortunate news, one treaty is now set to fall with the Hungary and Kunkaks Treaty terminating in 2023. However, since the treaty doesn't terminate for withholding purposes until the very end of 2023, there is still hope that a resolution can be reached later in this year. If this treaty does end up fully terminating, the expectation would be that the IGA would terminate next. So this situation warrants close watching. And looking at some of the guidance that we've recently received, we did get the 2024 Biden Green Book. Again, the Green Book is the president's wish list for provisions and tax that the administration would like to see changed. 
Included in that green book were an update on the corporate and individual tax rates to 28% and 39.6% respectively. Um, of course, those would have impacts on the withholding under Section 1445 and 1446 if they were ever to be enacted. We saw a repeat of the W-9 requirement for all payments, which would require a W-9 for the non-financial payments, where currently a payor is just required to get the 10 without being under penalties of perjury. We did see an increase in expanding the TIN matching program to include payments where backup withholding is not required. So, for example, 1099R. I believe this has been proposed before several years ago. And again, we'll see if this gets any traction this time around. We did see a requirement for e-filing the 1042. We know that for this current year for filing 2023 and 2024 for financial institutions and certain withholding agents that have a particular threshold of forms 1042S required, they will be required to file the 1042 electronically. Biden's proposal would increase this to everybody. And then finally, there's a proposal for an extension of the statute of limitations. So currently the normal statute of limitations is three years for the 1042. If there is an emission of 25% of the gross income, that would increase to six years. This proposal would also increase the statute of limitations to six years if there is an emission of more than $100 million of gross income on that return. And then we've got a holdover of the carried interest proposal from last year, which would propose to tax carried interest as ordinary income if the partner's taxable income from all sources exceeded 400000 This is an exact copy of last year's proposal. New to this year's Green Book is a proposal regarding treating certain derivatives referencing publicly traded partnership interests as 871M payments. Now, we did see an 871M proposal for publicly traded partnerships interests included in early versions of the Build Back Better legislation last year, but this version is a little different than what we've seen previously. Under the Green Book proposal, any portion of a derivative instrument, including a securities loan or a repo transaction, that is contingent on the income or gain from a PTP or other identified partnership, will be treated as a dividend equivalent payment to the extent that the income or gain would have been ECI if the taxpayer had held the underlying interest directly. Notably, the Green Book states that no inference is intended as to the application of current law to derivative transactions on interests in partnerships with ECI. We also saw a proposed expansion of the assets that would qualify for the securities lending non-recognition rules to include actively traded digital assets and PTP interests under certain circumstances. This rule is referred to as a modernization of the original rule and should be a welcome change in that it provides clarity on how securities lending transactions that reference digital assets and PTP interests should be treated and proposes to make this treatment consistent with other securities lending transactions. And then we're also seeing the yearly proposal for reciprocal FATCA reporting. As with prior years, the aim here seems to be to entice IGA partners to provide reporting with respect to digital assets. So this proposal offers not only to provide the original reciprocal reporting that we were supposed to be providing all the way back to the start of FACA and never have, but also to expand that to include digital assets. As with prior years, we don't have high expectations that this is going to go anywhere, particularly now that we've got a Republican-led House, but it is making its annual return. One tangential FATCA proposal that is worth noting is this administration is proposing some new guidance with respect to expatriates. First, the administration is proposing to extend the statute of limitations for taxpayers required to file Form 8854 until three years after the date the form is filed with the IRS. This gives the government more ability to combat abuse for non-compliant high-wealth expatriates. 
However, the proposal also includes the allowance for Treasury to provide some relief for a narrow class of low-income taxpayers with dual citizenship and limited U.S. ties. This is likely focusing on the accidental American situations that have dominated the news. This relief is only proposed to go forward for years after 2023, so it's not intended to be retroactive. But what's notable about this proposal is while with a split Congress, we don't expect the FACA reciprocal proposals to go forward. This one might have some legs because we could see Republicans getting around a proposal to provide some relief for the low-income expatriates. And I think we're seeing the carrot and the stick in that they're extending the statute of limitations to go after the high-wealth individuals while also extending the possibility of relief for low-income individuals. One last final positive change is that we see no evidence in this Green Book of the enhanced reporting provisions that were included in last year's Green Book and caused such a furor. As a reminder, that proposal last year showed an intent of the IRS to get additional reporting from financial institutions with respect to the inflows and outflows of account holders so that they could match those numbers against the expenses claimed by those taxpayers. That received tremendous pushback. We don't see it appearing in this Green Book, so we're not anticipating seeing it in legislation, particularly, again, now that we have a Republican House. So at least for the time being, this proposal seems to have died out. There are a few other areas not addressed in the Green Book where guidance is potentially pending. The first is final regulations regarding the timing of Form 1042S reporting with respect to partnership deemed distributions, which would effectively end the lag method of reporting for calendar year partnerships. These reporting procedures are currently optional under the proposed regulations released in 2018. The other is a change to the portfolio interest exception requirements and specifically updating the 10% ownership limitation to apply with respect to both vote and value. This change was included in prior versions of the Build Back Better Act, but has not yet been enacted into law. It's not clear why this was left out of the Green Book while other savings provisions of the Build Back Better Act were included, so we'll need to wait and see what comes of this Congress. And that concludes our update on 2022 and looking forward to 2023. Thanks for joining us. 